following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, the cat's out of the bag. It's my last Sunday here, at least up here, for a little while. Thanks, Jesse, for making the announcement and for the reminder. I um, have been here for the last six weeks, and it has truly been a joy to be here. It's been so fun for me. Even though, you know, when I said to Scott, um, like, in October, when this, like, seemed like an open spot in my calendar and then turned out not to be as open as I had wanted um, the end of the summer, but it's just been so fun to be here every week and to be looking at these parables together and to just think about our community life together and what life could be like and uh, the kind of church that we are and want to be in the world. So I've been grateful to get a chance to be your pastor even for just a little bit and we'll see you around. I mean, I will continue to be here generally like the fourth row back on this side. So if you, if you want to find me, you know how we are, <laughs> creatures of habit. So today as we end our... Um, Summer together, really. We are kind of coming to a close on our summer. Uh, I have just a short reflection on a short parable that was read earlier. We may actually even get out early today and enjoy the outside. If there was ever a day that you could say, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it, today would be that day for me. Uh, I love this weather. Uh, I put up with winter here so that I can have days like this with my windows open in the summer in Rochester. Well, um, next week will be our sort of culminating week of the series, and we're doing a little bit of a different kind of service next week. There'll be more talk about that at the end, um, where we'll sort of immerse ourselves together in the values one last time. And if you are newer to Artisan, it might be a little bit more of a participatory service than you have had um, on a typical Sunday morning, but it's a great way for, to join in the community life. So I would invite you to come back to that next week and to spend some time with others thinking about the values and talking about how these have really sort of come up for you this summer as you've been reflecting on them um, and to sort of close our summer together. But I do have one last parable for us to talk about before we get to that. And I think um, the parable that was read today, the parable of the, it's alternately called the persistent widow or the unjust judge, which is such an interesting parable. I think it's a good one for us to close on. I think it's fitting because a lot of times this widow in today's parable feels a little too familiar to us. We actually maybe know her plight a little more than we would like to some days. On any given day, our values, words like beauty and awe and community and justice can seem maybe somewhat irrelevant uh, or at best an aspirational goal. We hope for them, but we wonder sometimes, can we count on them? Can we really claim them as ours? Can we say there's reason to hope that these will be alive in our lives and in the world? Or maybe even if not today, can we say someday? Really, we're asking, can we count on God? Will God come through in the ways that God says? We started this series this summer with a par the parable of the mustard seed, if you remember. And we said the kingdom of God is like a tiny seed. 
It is these, the little things that we live every day. When we, when we do kingdom things in kingdom ways, we're living the kingdom into the world. And we said, do not despise the day of small things. But honestly, small justices in a big world of injustice can be exhausting. That's where the widow in our parable is at today. She's wondering, will justice ever be mine? <laughs> is it something that I can claim? She goes over and over and over and over and over again and again and again and again to this judge in the story you heard. She's pleading with a judge to grant her justice. Now, we don't know much about this particular widow um, or her circumstances, and it's interesting, you know, as we've talked about in the parables this summer, a lot of times we have some details in the story that really make the story relevant to us. And I think it's actually the lack of details that really kind of make her story very relevant to us. It doesn't matter what her particular form of seeking justice was. She, in a, in a sense, this is, um, she's, she is the, the quintessential person. She's every person seeking justice. We, we intuitively understand her. And that would have been the same for the original hearers, and they would have had a little bit more context for her as a widow. That's a, you know, I think it's important that Jesus chooses a widow for the story. This widow um, is telling the story of sort of every vulnerable person, we'll say. In Jesus' time to be a woman who had lost her husband is very different than it is today. I mean, I have not been married, and um, there's plenty of people I work with who were single people, and we make it in the world, generally speaking, on a daily basis for, you know, the most part, except sometimes when you have to build Ikea furniture, which... <laughs> can be a little dicey, and I had an incident with that this weekend, actually, with a friend of mine. Anyway, <laughs> side note. <laughs> but for the most part, we make it in the world. Um, and it's not as uncommon or um, impossible to live as a single woman in the world today. It was absolutely impossible in Jesus' day. So this, this woman, when her husband died, she was the woman who was left with no means of support. She, did not, she would not have inherited his estate if he had had an estate. If she remained with his family, she was likely a servant in that family. If she returned to her family, her family would have had to repay the dowry that, they, that had been paid to them for her when she married. So they would have, that would have caused them financial hardship. Uh, widows wore unique clothing, so everyone knew who they were. They were often victimized and sometimes sold as slaves. Uh, to make up for a debt, they, this woman did not have an easy life. There was nothing about this that would have been um, a, a good situation to be in. And because they were so vulnerable, widows, throughout the Old Testament and New Testaments, the people of God are told to look out for widows. Widows, orphans, and strangers. You actually see these three come up over and over and over again. It's the way that God talks about vulnerable people. And even today, widows, orphans, and strangers actually are some of the most vulnerable people in our communities. So um, we, we meet this widow in this parable who's seeking justice, and she is at the mercy of this judge. She actually doesn't have really any other options for her. So that's one of our characters in the story. And the other one is this judge. And we don't know much about him either. 
Other than, all we know is that he is this widow's only hope. She's going to him over and over for justice. And, you know, the Old and New Testaments would say the law requires him to act quickly in her favor because she is a vulnerable person. And that would be good. It would be good for her if this judge cared about that. But that's the thing that the one thing we're told about this judge is he doesn't care. In the introduction to the parable, we're told there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about people. Just who you're hoping to run into on a daily basis, right? In your pursuit of justice, you're running into a person who does not fear God, he has no moral compass, and, and does not care about people. So even if it's, you know, at least he could maybe care a little bit, but he doesn't. But the thing about these two is that everyone would have known one of them, right? They're, they were sort of quintessential people. You have this, the vulnerable person and the abusive judge. What are you going to do, right? What will happen to the widow in our story? And in a sense, we ask that question because we're saying, what's going to happen to us, right? We know these people too. We live in a world where there are vulnerable people and abuses of power. And we ask, what will happen? And there's a way of understanding this parable that is the right way. And I will say we'll have two right ways of understanding the parable this morning. So there's a way of understanding it that is the right way, and I think it's the way that we most naturally read it, that we are the widow in the story, and we come to God, the judge, and we beg for God to grant our petitions. How many of you have heard the parable before and you've heard it in that way? We're the widow, and we're, yes, we're begging God. Jesus says the parable is about prayer, and so this does make sense. The widow is a paradigm for us for every late night filled with anxiety, every broken promise and broken heart, every news story that just seems to be recurring, every tweet full of thoughts and prayers. That's the widow. We know her plight, and it's very familiar to us, and sometimes it feels very hopeless. But the widow persists, and that's the key to the story. The Greek text actually says the judge feels beaten down by her. I like that. I think of it as a small child, the perpetual tapper, tap, 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 tapping the shoulder of her adult (laughs) until she gets the attention the tapping required. This widow drives the judge nuts until he finally comes through for her. Though he did not fear God or care about this woman, he was tired of being annoyed. You know, we'll take what we can get sometimes. And he granted her justice. And there's a lesson for us in that, and we'll get to that in a minute. Because this reading of the parable is actually also a very difficult one. One of the most comprehensive books on the parables in the New Testament is a book by a New Testament scholar named Klein Snodgrass. And he introduces this parable by saying he considers it to be one of the most difficult parables in the New Testament, which I had not read before I decided I was going to be putting it into the series. (laughs) Which is not a problem, not a problem. In this parable, when we are the widow and we think of God as the judge, it's challenging because God is not like this judge. Maybe we think that God is like this judge 
and that our petitions are falling on deaf, unjust ears. I think the parable can actually like, sort of set our imaginations to believe that God is holding out on us. But there's nothing in Scripture that says that God is anything like this judge. Even at the end of the parable, Jesus says, And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? The answer to both questions is an implied no. Of course God won't delay. God isn't like this judge. Which leads to the second way people read this parable. It asks us the question, are we like this judge? Throughout the Old and New Testaments, the people of God over and over again are told to care for orphans, widows, and strangers. Here are just a sampling of the verses in Scripture that remind us of God's heart for the vulnerable. I should have some of them on the screen. Exodus 22. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry, says the Lord. Deuteronomy 24. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from a foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Zechariah 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. God is also described as the helper and refuge for the vulnerable. Psalm 68, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Deuteronomy 10, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. The writer of Deuteronomy and other passages in the Old Testament tie the life of God's people and the experience of God's people to how they are to care for the others among them. God's people had lived for 400 years as slaves in Egypt, and God had rescued them from their oppressors and brought them out into the land that he promised them where they could live and flourish. And just as God had done this for them, they were to be people who, who stood on the side of, of justice and who sought justice for those who were oppressed. Just as they had been strangers and God cared for them, they were to care for strangers in their midst. Just as God had compassion on them, they were to have compassion on widows and orphans among them. We've talked about that even during this series, that we are to be like the compassionate God. We are to love all those among us. We are to show care and regard in the way that God has shown care and regard for us. Jesus expects his disciples to be the mediators, the ambassadors of God's kingdom life through the way they live and how they enable justice in the world. And Jesus is talking to his disciples in this scene, you got to wonder, is he asking them, are you like this judge? 
Are you going to be like this judge or are you going to be like the father? The one who, of course, is quick to help. In a sense, we are to look at the judge and say, how are we different than this judge? And in a sense, we're supposed to look at the widow and say, how are we persistent like this widow? Now, not many of us are actual judges who have power to grant justice to others. Uh, And Jesus wasn't imagining that we would be. But God doesn't let us off the hook because we can't do everything. God expects us to do what we can in seeking justice in the world. We are the widow and we are the judge. So there are two readings of the parable and two applications. I titled this message, Stand Your Ground, hence our opening song today. If you are here in a timely fashion to hear our opening song. But I almost titled it Thoughts and Prayers because both of these actually have become very common phrases that we use in our world today. One is a claim that justifies violence and one is a passive indifference to the injustice and violence of the world. So many tweets about thoughts and prayers with little action for change. And I would say each of these statements can be corrected for us to serve as a reminder and a summary of one of the ways we can apply this parable in our lives. First, I would say we're called to stand our ground, not in using deadly force or violence, but in steadfast commitment to pursuing God's kingdom of justice. Every moment when we feel helpless, we remember this widow who stood her ground until she received her answer. There's an Old Testament story about a man named Jacob who is camping out for the night in the wilderness and is visited by an angel of the Lord. And he doesn't know that at the time. And always wanting to grab anything he can from anyone he can. Jacob is an interesting character. Jacob wrestles with this angel until daybreak. And then before he will let him go, he says, you have to bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. And the angel blesses him. Now, Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, who was the father of God's people. God regularly introduces himself in scripture as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and this wrestler, Jacob. This guy (laughs) is listed in God's self-introduction. God claims him. He chooses him. The wrestling guy, he says, I'm with him, and he's with me. God loves wrestlers, people who are willing to hang in until they get their answer. This is where I think one of our values, the value of roots, which we haven't talked as much about in my series at least, this can help us out actually. We have people like Jacob, who's our ancestor, who we can look back on and say, well, if God's with him, potentially God could be with me. He's our people and we're his people. We are the people who wrestle with God until we receive all that God has for us. The first application of our parable today is to stand our ground, to not let go of God, even when we don't understand and everything seems to be falling apart, which honestly is a lot of our days. 
There will be many days in our lives like that. I actually had a seminary professor who taught our class on spiritual formation, and he would say uh, about prayer, he would say, if we're going to spend our lives in communion with God, in conversation with God, we have to expect long periods of silence because that's just how conversations go sometimes. But we, like Jacob, refuse to let go of God. We persist. That's not necessarily an easy thing to do. What do we do when we're struggling to hold on to God in the midst of what seems like a world where we can't find God? Well, we look to our roots, like Jacob, like Abraham, his grandfather, who was told he would be the father of many nations and died with one child. And uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says he, he, was, he died living in tents, looking forward to a city, always living in hope, living in faith that God was fulfilling the promises. And, you know, ancestors like Sarah, Abraham's wife, who also was promised a child and at 90 had not had a child. The history of um, women who are waiting on God for children is a long history in scripture. We have a lot of ancestors who have that as their story. There are a whole host of other ancestors in our lineage Read through the Old and New Testaments and you see over and over and over again people waiting, stories of people waiting in hope for God to come through. And they persisted. To be honest, it's easier when you can do it together and this is where our value of community is an important one as well. See, all of our values actually do really weave together. You can't just have the one that you like. (laughs) You kind of need all of them sometimes. There's a reason we do things like we recite the creed together, which we did today, and we pray, which we will at the end. We pray together, and we believe that when we pray, that when we can't pray or believe anymore, that actually the person next to us might have just enough faith to share with us. When we don't really know how to go to God one more time, we go in community We believe that God's kingdom will come among us. And even on the days that we don't believe it, the person next to us can believe it on our behalf until we can get back there again. For some of you, that's the application you probably, you maybe need to hear the most today. I don't know. Maybe it's been a long, quiet season in your life and you wonder, will God ever come through? Is it worth waiting? The challenge for you this morning is to stand your ground to keep asking, to keep seeking. God is not like the judge in the parable. If even an unjust judge will come through, how much more will God hear the cries of God's people? So that's one application. We stand our ground. And then there's the second application for the morning. And it connects to the first. See, there are so many thoughts and prayers these days. We all have so many thoughts and prayers. Holding up this parable as a mirror to our lives, I think it asks us, what if you are the answer to someone else's thoughts and prayers? 
As the people of God, we are to look around us and see in the ways we might be the answer to the thoughts and prayers of others. God wants us to pray and also to act. I'm finishing up the last chapter of my dissertation, and it's, it is getting emailed today, people. It is going to get emailed today. <laughs> I'm going to name it and claim it at least. <laughs> so I, I was working on that this weekend a little bit, which is why my sermon is a little short and anyway. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm working on this last chapter, and I've been reading this woman. Her name is Ada Maria Azazi Diaz. And she, is, she actually lived in Rochester for a little while. And I think she actually wrote this piece that I'm going to reference while she was here. And she's, a, she's this great theologian, super fiery. And she talks about um, all the people that are telling her about prayer. And she said, I always felt like really terrible at prayer. Because I am not the person that like, sits quietly and you know, contemplates and is able to clear my mind of things. And um, she said, everyone says that you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do this like praying life that's quiet and contemplative. But she says, I was, out on a, I was out on a protest march one day, protesting apartheid in South Africa. So this was a while ago. And she says, I felt the spirit of God marching with me. She, her reflection on that time was she says, I think I pray best with a picket sign in my hand. I like that. We pray best sometimes with picket signs in our hands. We pray and we act. Now, I'm not telling you to go picket anything today, unless you were already planning to do that, and then, you know, by all means. But here at Artisan, we do talk about we pray with our bodies. We don't just pray with our words. We do pray with our words, but we also pray with our bodies. Thoughts and prayers are vital, and working out the answer to thoughts and prayers is equally vital. We recognize that unless God acts, we are lost. So we pray. And we recognize that sometimes God begins to answer through us. We take steps toward justice and we find that God marches with us. So when will the mustard seed grow into the tree that the birds of the air can rest in their branches and find peace and health and life and flourishing? We talked about that in the first week, that the kingdom is the seed that grows into the tree, the flourishing of all people. Well, and the answer to the question is, I don't really know when that happens. I do know today God is with us as we wait for it, as we pray, as we act, as we seek, as we take on the parable life as we become a living example of God's kingdom here on the south side of Rochester, as we tell the world, this is what God's kingdom is like. It's a place of peace and health and flourishing for all people. You know, I've always found it kind of interesting that of all the things Jesus' disciples ask Jesus to teach them about, they don't ask about, like, feeding 5,000 people with loaves and fishes, though he does that. They don't ask about healing. They don't actually even ask about like teaching, like good pedagogical methods. They ask him to teach them to pray. And I think it's important that that's the question that they ask. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And to this day, we pray the prayer that Jesus' disciples learned that day.
Jesus taught them to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In a, in a, really, in a very real way, that was the prayer of the widow. She was praying, God, your justice come. And that's our prayer in so many ways. We believe that God's kingdom is not just a future reality, that it can actually be here and present among us, that we can take on its form in our own lives and in our community and be a gift to the world. So we stand our ground and we look for ways that we actually start to become the answer to the many, 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 many thoughts and prayers in the world around us. We're going to close this morning actually with this prayer that Jesus taught us. We pray it every week if you are with us and we use different words and you might have, you know, more affinity or connection in your life to one version or another, but we all pray it together and we put the words on the screen so we all know if we're confessing our trespasses or our debts for the week. But we do it all together because sometimes we just need the people next to us who are going to pray this prayer out loud with us to remind us that there are others on the journey, that we don't do this alone, that God is here and present with us. And we hold on to faith together. We believe that God will act, that God's kingdom is coming. So let's pray the words, the version that will be up on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. the God who is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The other thing we do, actually also every week, to remind ourselves of being God's people is that we gather around the table that Jesus set for us and for everyone who gathers here. We do this together. We do it with um, church communities around the world. We take simple things like bread and juice or wine, and we remember the great love of God on our behalf. Because on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took bread and he gave it to his friends who were gathered with him. And he said, this bread here, this is my body that's broken for you. As often as you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine And he gave it to all of them, and he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, and it's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And so we gather again this week as we do every week, and we do this in remembrance of Jesus and the great love that God has for us. So this is Christ's table, and Christ is the one who invites you if you are you know, new to Artisan and this is not your church home, that's great. We would invite you to come. If you would like to meet Christ at this table, Christ is welcoming you. 
We also have someone who will be at the back of the room during this time. If you are in need of prayer for anything this morning, if there's something that you're saying, you know what, I actually have even given up on, and you just need somebody else who won't give up and will hold, hold on to it for you. There'll be someone at the back who would love to pray with you and for you this morning. So just a brief reminder, I know a lot of you know this, but at Artisan, um, how we do it is you can come up the center aisles, you take a piece of bread, there's, um, there's bread and gluten-free and wine and juice, so there's plenty for all at the table of the Lord. Come and partake, and then um, you can head back down sort of the outside aisles. So as you are ready this morning, I invite you to come and, and to meet Christ at Christ's table. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.